Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. As we continue in our uh, series in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. It's our practice to stand when we read, read God's Word together, so let me ask that you will uh, stand with us now. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, even as we just sang, that you will speak. For your servants are listening. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, some days just don't go the way you want them to. Some days just don't go right. Sometimes you just feel like it's even more than a day, perhaps uh, several days, perhaps a week. There, there, there's, there are times in our lives when we are just convinced, this is not the way I wanted it to be. This isn't how I thought it was going to go. This isn't, this isn't working out so well, we might think. Sometimes your life just doesn't go the way you want it to, or you think it should, or you wish it would. Sometimes things just go wrong. My mom uh, used to say, you know, on, in moments like that, she would kind of throw her hands up in despair and kind of say, I can't win for losing. 
I, I, I'm never going to get anywhere. I can't win because I keep losing. All this losing piles up and gets in the way of, of winning. Things just keep going wrong, and I, I'm, I, I, I want things to be different. I, I, this isn't going the way I think it should. I can't win for losing. Paul looks at his life and his situation in this passage He kind of takes a survey of what's going on around him, where he is, and and even outside of prison and in Rome, and for that matter, in Philippi too. And and he, he kind of examines the situation, but he has a different perspective than you and I might. The apostles in prison and and. People are out there preaching the gospel and trying to somehow thinking that will harm Paul. Somehow taking credit for something that that Paul's followers perhaps think Paul should be getting the credit for. And instead of throwing his hands up in despair and saying, I can't win for losing. He actually throws his hands up and says, I can't lose for winning. Because his perspective is a is a different perspective. He's looking at it from the 30,000 foot view. He's looking at it from above, from God's perspective, not from his own. He doesn't doesn't look at prison and go, oh, woe is me. This is so unfair. This is so unjust. I shouldn't be here. I haven't done anything wrong. This is is all just, I, I can't believe this is going on. Instead, he examines his situation and sort of he sees God's work of providence in his life. God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And, and he says, God has me here. God has me here in prison, chained to this Roman guard. Paul finds joy instead of despair when he sees God's work of providence in his life. Notice that Paul's perspective means that he puts the gospel before his own comfort. Verse 12, he's, he doesn't go into great detail. Notice he doesn't really call attention to himself. He could very easily in verse 12 Instead of using this euphemism, what has happened to me, his audience knows. The saints in Philippi knows, know where he is. They know what's going on. He could have gone into more elaborate detail. You know people that do that. They, they, they kind of put on a pity party for themselves. They, they go into a little more detail about their condition because they really want you to feel sorry for them. What's happened to me? We know what he means. He's, he's mentioned being in prison already. He mentions it in this passage. That, that's what he means. What, what, what has happened to him? Well, he's, he's in jail. And if you read the last three chapters of Acts, he's, he's been arrested. He has been on trial. He appeals to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen. He's been transferred to Rome. Most likely that's where he's the place from which he's writing this letter. He's under house arrest and chained to a Roman guard. 
24-7, no privacy, no alone time. The, the, the pain and agony, the sores of, of these chains on his wrists, every six hours or so the guard changes. Paul still chained, the sores growing, festering on his wrists, ankles perhaps. Paul simply says, I know that what's happened to me. He's not... From an earthly perspective, life isn't going the way it should. This is Paul. He's done nothing wrong and he's been arrested for it. He preached Jesus and was arrested for it. What's happened to me is all he'll say at this point. But he puts the gospel before his own comfort because he knows that what has happened to him, verse 12, has served to advance the gospel. These chains that I wear that cause me such discomfort, that cause me such pain and anguish, that quite honestly I wear unjustly and unfairly, these chains advance the cause of Christ. Because every six hours or so, that guard changes. And there are about 9,000 imperial guards, verse 13. This is the, the elite class. Who's, they're, they're sort of the secret service agents for Caesar. Their job is to guard and protect the emperor. And then they have other prison responsibilities in Rome when they're not on duty with the emperor. You can imagine the, the first time a guard is chained to Paul. So, we're going to be stuck together for the next six hours. I might as well ask you, what, what are you in for? Funny you should ask, Paul responds. You see... There's Jesus. And you can imagine that sooner or later, some of those guards at some point had to go, please, when is this six hours going to end? When is my shift over? Do I have to listen to Jesus for six solid hours? Paul says, why, yes, you do. He's the reason I'm here. And then as his turn ended, the next guy came in and the, guy, you know, the first guy walking out said, good luck with all that. Now, I'm sure not all 9,000 of these imperial guards spent time chained to Paul. But what's that first guard going to do when he gets back to the barracks? You guys are not going to believe this. Or the next time he has... Guard duty for the emperor. You're not going to believe this. The gospel advances in Caesar's house because of Paul's chains. Because Paul has the perspective to see God's providence even in a most uncomfortable, unfun, really, I mean, just not the right situation. Instead of throwing his hands up in the air and saying, I can't win for losing, he says, I can't lose for winning because these chains means the gospel goes forward. 
Paul takes great joy in the advance of the gospel. But notice Paul kind of takes two angles here. Yes, the gospel over his own comfort, because look, it serves evangelism. I'm talking about Jesus with the imperial guard. Not only for evangelism, but also for the, the equipping of the saints. You, you, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you read about why does the church exist? What's the role of the church on the earth? It is to gather and perfect the saints. Well, Paul mentions gathering as he talks about the, the gospel going forward because he's talking about Jesus with the imperial guards. That's evangelism. But not only does, does the gospel advance among these unbelieving Roman centurion types, but it also has strengthened the faith and courage of the brothers on the outside, verse 14. Most of the brothers, okay, not all, but there are men out there not in here where I am, Paul says, they're still free to proclaim Christ. And guess what? My imprisonment has encouraged them all the more. Because I'm in chains for the cause of the Gospel, they preach Christ more eagerly, more fervently, more confidently, he says, verse 14. The gospel goes forward. The gospel advances. The gospel over comfort, Paul says. Paul in prison chained to this Roman guard says, I, I can't lose for winning because even though I'm in chains, I win because the gospel is at work. The Gospels at work among these Roman soldiers, the Gospels even at work among the believers on the outside here in Rome where they proclaim Christ. I can't lose because whatever happens to me, the Gospel advances and that is winning. First, we see the, the Gospel over our own comfort. Second, we see the Gospel over our own credit Notice that these brothers, verses 15 to 18, are proclaiming Christ. Some of them preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Others preach Christ from goodwill. There are some people who are, some of these brothers on the outside, they're, they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching Christ out of genuine love for Christ and love for the church and the growth and advancement of the gospel. Others... They think they can punish me somehow. They think that they can humiliate me further. Not only am I in jail, but they aren't. Not only am I in prison for preaching Christ, they're preaching Christ and walking free. Not only has Paul, you know... I gotta be honest with you. It, it, it sure would be, I know it would be easy on your part to think that preachers are sinless. 
I know that would be real easy for you to, to think. You're not laughing. Why aren't you laughing? That should have been really funny. Um, you, you know, you watch preachers at a conference. There's always somebody you wish you were. There's always somebody you wish you could think like that guy. You wish you could preach like that guy. You wish you could remember the stuff that guy. I mean, there's always this. You put preachers at a conference, and it's really not a conference. It's a competition. Oh, if I could have an accent like him and remember the things that this guy. I mean, this is Paul. Paul, he's an apostle. He wrote the vast majority of the letters in the New Testament. You can imagine the free preachers on the outside thinking to themselves, Paul's gotten credit for stuff I should get credit for. I've been here in Rome preaching. He's been transferred here from another prison and brought here to be in prison. Who does he think he is? Why does everyone around me all of a sudden... Paul's here. You can imagine that they're preaching Christ from, from jealousy and envy and seeking the honor and the credit for themselves that somehow Paul has gotten? It's not really clear. Paul, Paul's not overly specific. On, and, and maybe they aren't really sure how they think they can afflict Paul in his imprisonment by preaching Jesus out there. That does seem sort of odd to you, doesn't it? Hey, here's an idea. Uh, Paul's in prison for preaching Christ. So I'm going to go out there and preach Christ and that's going to afflict him more in his I don't I don't see the connection, but somehow that was in their thought process. They wanted honor, they wanted credit, they wanted to 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 somehow afflict Paul all the more. Maybe they thought that the more Christ is preached out there, the harder the Jailers will be on Paul in here. They're talking about this Jesus that you're talking about, smack. They're looking for some way to to afflict Paul. Remember, there was there was some form of competition in the church in Philippi. That, that's one of the issues going on in the church at Philippi. There's there's competition. We'll see this later as we read through the book. There's, there's, there's competition for honor and credit. Church members are battling with other church members to, to gain a, a, a foothold of, of, of work, of popularity, of whatever the case may be. There's some sort of competition in among the believers in Philippi. This would have been a perfect opportunity to, for, for Paul to say, well, let's give the credit to so-and-so because that's where it rightly belongs. No, he says, I don't care who gets the credit. 
I don't care what human voice is accredited with so-and-so's conversion. I don't care what human voice is accredited with so-and-so's encouragement in the faith. Paul says, verse 18, what then? It matters not to me. Christ is being proclaimed. Now, bear in mind, these are not false teachers. They have false motives. They're preaching the true gospel for the wrong reason. Paul doesn't rebuke them. You preach a false gospel regardless of your reason, and Paul comes down hard on you. That's the book of Galatians. So if these guys were preaching the false gospel, if they weren't preaching the true Jesus, then Paul would have had something to say about that. He calls them brothers. He doesn't challenge their message, only their motive. He says, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me who gets the credit. Christ is being preached. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The gospel over comfort, the gospel over credit. Finally, Paul shifts his attention in the rest of this passage, verses, uh, the second half of verse 18 through verse 26, and he stops looking at the present and looks instead at the future. Technically, he doesn't really know whether he gets out of jail or not. Technically, he doesn't really know whether he's going to live or die. He has his idea, and by the end of it, he starts with, I have no idea what's going, to go, what's going to happen. He ends with, I'm pretty sure that it's better for y'all for me to live, and therefore I'm pretty sure I'm going to. But he's not really sure what's going to come of this trial. But that's okay, because Paul says, I'm going to rejoice. Why? Because... The gospel over comfort, the gospel over credit, the gospel over consequences. Paul speaks of his deliverance in verse 19. Um, I don't think that's physical deliverance. He uses a word that I'm going to spare you all of the details. You don't need to know all that well. If you want to, I eat lunch and I drink coffee. Um, But he uses a word here that every other time he uses it, it's for spiritual salvation. Paul's not talking about his deliverance from prison. He's actually using his imprisonment as an image for the trial he will one day face when he stands before the eternal tribunal and only can plead the blood of Christ as his hope of salvation. Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And yet, even still, there's this tension. I don't know that that means deliverance from prison, but that doesn't matter because whatever happens to me, whether I live or die, to live is Christ, to die is gain, I can't lose for winning. 
it matters not what comes of this trial because whatever happens, happens because God is sovereign and because His hand of providence is always on me. I can't lose for winning. If I live, if I'm, if I'm freed from these chains, then okay, that means I have work yet to do on this earth. It means further preaching of the gospel. And it probably means the better equipping of the saints in Philippi. They will probably be more greatly encouraged by his deliverance from these chains. And if that's the case, so be it, Paul says. That's a win for me. But oh, to see Christ's face. Oh, to to die and go to heaven and to be with Christ for good that is winning more still. I, I can't lose. Whatever happens is a win for me. Whatever happens is according to God's providence and for the good of the gospel, the growth and expansion of the kingdom of Christ. That's a win. Paul says, that's that's a win for me. The gospel is greater than whatever consequences we might face. Whether Paul lives or dies, Christ is honored. Whether Paul lives to see tomorrow, Christ is honored and glorified in all of that. We get to watch his struggle. We get to watch as he's sort of torn between, I'm not sure what I want. Paul doesn't get to choose in the sense that he's not in charge of his, whether he gets out of jail or not, right? I mean, that's not his call. That's why he's there. If if that was his call, he wouldn't be there. He would have gotten out before he transferred to Rome. It's Caesar's call. He knows that. He's appealed to Caesar. He doesn't mean... I'm hard-pressed between the two. I don't know which I will choose. That doesn't mean he gets to make the call. I don't know what my preference is. I don't know which of the two I prefer. Because to live means I live in union with Christ. And to die means I get to be with Christ forever. Paul says his imprisonment is good. Have you ever noticed, I was with a couple of pastors the other day, and one of them said this, and it caught me off guard, and then I realized he was saying it the way I wanted him to say it. Have you ever noticed how we use the phrase, it was a, it was a God thing, or, or that's a God thing, or it was a total God thing. Have you ever noticed that we always mean it was good? We never say that about jail. We never say that about the really inconvenient flat tire. We never say that about disobedient children. We never say that about, about being in prison. or or We instead throw up our hands and say, I can't win for losing. Everything's going wrong. Until something goes right and we say, that was a God thing. Paul, chained to a Roman soldier, 
says this is a God thing. Why? Because he totally understands God's providence. He totally gets that whatsoever comes to pass does so because Christ brings it about. Because God, in his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all his actions. Now let me warn you. You've heard me say before, you can't read providence while you're in the middle of it. I heard some recently uh, a theologian who said, uh, describe providence as you can't, uh, it's better read backwards. In other words, you kind of have to get to the end of it and then turn around and look back and now read God's providence. See, we're tempted to say, well, you know, this was a, the door closed, the window opened, therefore I should go through the window. Not necessarily, not if it leads you to sin. Just because there's an open door doesn't mean you have to walk through it. We're not supposed to read God's providence while we're in the middle of it. We, we read it backwards. We read it after the fact. And yet at the same time, Paul says, I know these chains, yes, they're uncomfortable. Yeah, they're a real hassle for me. But they serve the gospel. They serve God's purposes. They advance the cause and name and kingdom and honor and glory of Christ. And in that, I will rejoice. Can we say that? Can, can we say that we endure all things for the sake of the gospel? Or do we put our comfort over the advancement of the gospel? Those opportunities that we have to proclaim Christ to an unbeliever. And we stop because we're worried what they're going to think about us. My comfort over the gospel. When our, our day isn't going the way it should, when we'd rather throw up our arms in despair and proclaim, I can't win for losing... If we took a gospel perspective, could we instead throw up our hands and say, I can't lose for winning because, yes, this is inconvenient for me. But there's an opportunity for the gospel here. For unbelievers to be brought faith to, face to face with Christ. For brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged and strengthened and equipped with the gospel. For my own sanctification that rather than curse God and fuss and complain, I get to see the, the picture of the Holy Spirit at work in me, conforming me into the image of Christ and saying, God is in control of this. God is sovereign. God is at work. Do we rejoice in trials? Do we rejoice in difficulty? Is are we, are we more concerned about our own comfort, our own credit, our own consequences than we are about the gospel itself? Can we find joy in difficulty and struggle when it serves God's holy, wise, and powerful purposes? We as believers, when we take that different angle, you know, you... You fly across the ocean west to east at night. And then when you come back from 
over there, across the pond. When you, when you fly back from Scotland, you, you come back in the daytime. And you get to see all the stuff you missed. And you, you really spend the whole trip praying that there's not going to be clouds. Because you're at 37,000 feet. And you're passing over land going, I have no idea what that is. Where's the, I need a big sign. Nova Scotia. I, I don't know. I don't know what I saw. I, I, did, I pulled up Google Maps and tried to watch and see if I could find land that looked like that land so I could have some sense of where I am. Everything looks different up there. Flying into Liverpool was vastly different than trying to drive in Liverpool. When you have that, that 37,000 foot view, you see a bigger picture. You see more. You, you have a, a view that's different than when you're actually on the ground. We as believers, when we have God's perspective of our lives, when we have a gospel perspective of what's going on in the world around us, when we have the 37,000 foot view rather than the here I am walking in the muck myself view, we don't throw up our hands in despair and say, I can't win for losing. Instead, we're reminded of what we're about to sing. Solid joys and lasting pleasures. Nobody knows except the children of Zion. None but Zion's children know. If you belong to Christ, that's our perspective. That's our hope. That's our joy even in the most uncomfortable, frustrating, inconvenient circumstances, and we don't know the outcome. With a gospel perspective, there's lasting joy for us there. But if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, you can't know any of that until you first trust in Him for your salvation. In fact, until you do, you have every reason to throw your hands up in despair and say, I can't win for losing because your ultimate destiny is ultimate loss. Run to Christ. Because there, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us the 37,000 foot view of our circumstances, of our lives, of church planting, of Grace Covenant, of Athens, of your work in this world, of the news we watch on television. Father, may it be that our great joy would be found not in our own comfort, not in our own credit, not in our own consequences, but the growth and advancement of the gospel of Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.